much for that. Amen. Revelation chapter 20 this morning, please. As the young people head off to Children's Church, Revelation chapter 20. I'd mentioned a while back, uh, email correspondence I had with a friend of mine, pastor friend of mine, about a tweet that he had seen on Twitter to the effect that while it was hard to exercise and maintain physical fitness, it was hard to be unfit. And the point that he made was, choose your hard. And we talked a lot about that because that really, in some way, summarizes our life's choices. Um, We are often inclined to make the path, the choice of least resistance, as the easiest without contemplating that it will probably bring its own dimension of difficulty somewhere down the road. And so, over the next few weeks, I don't know that we'll spend a lot of time on this or belaboring it. However, I want to give two Sundays to this particular subject. The Lord is very candid with us about the necessity to make right choices. And he is equally candid about the fact that choices come with their own set of difficulties or obstacles. And he encourages us then to make the wise and right choice. Um, In a cursed world, we have choices between difficulties. But we rarely have just ease and simplicity. Um, And of course, when, when we as a human being make a choice the consequences of that choice are out of our hands. Um, Although humans spend a lot of time trying to circumvent that, uh, to not have to deal with the consequences of their actions. But God has made it so that we cannot always do that. Let's go ahead and stand, please. Revelation chapter 20. Verses 11 through 15 are our passage this morning. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works." And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Loving God, these are your words. 
And being your words, we believe them to be true words. And we pray then that you would minister them to us to the building of our faith and the settling of our souls and the restlessness of our spirits. Pray your help and blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. If you track my sermons, this is a message I have preached before. I deliberately preach it periodically. If for no other reason, folks, it is beneficial for us to remember that we traffic in eternal matters. For many people, I hope not for any of you, but for many people, the things of God, church, the Bible, obedience to Christianity, are trifling things. But to the Lord God, our Creator, they are eternal things. Their significance cannot possibly be overstated. And so what I wish to do is take two weeks and address, first of all, the hardness that will come to those who choose not to believe. And then secondly, to explore, for we really have much less information, to explore the joys that are promised to those who do believe. But before we get to that, again, our subject matter this morning is the hardness that will come to those who choose to disbelieve the word of the Lord, who will not listen and who will not hear. God sent his son into the world and laid upon that man all the sin and all of the guilt and all of his wrath for all the world so that all who would believe in him might be forgiven. Forgiveness is possible for all who will believe. And then he charged the church with the responsibility to carry that message to the ends of the earth. So that God's people have, beginning in their homes as they teach it to their children, and into the workplaces and into the communities, carry the gospel of Christ so the people have heard the good news of forgiveness through the work of Jesus. God is abundantly clear about what awaits those who will not heed that message, who will not hear it, who do not believe that it applies to them, who do not believe that they are in need of its benefits. And so let us just begin there this morning, and I have a variety of verses that I will read. We will not take time necessarily to turn to all of them, but certainly feel free to follow along the best as you can. Number one, 
God speaks pointedly, repeatedly, dramatically about what a terrible place hell is. It is not simply a figure of speech to him. It is not a metaphor for a really bad work environment or home life. It is not a state of mind. It is a very real place that it is existence at this moment. Mark 9.43, it is a place that is on fire. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Drastic action. Graphic, vivid, metaphorical action. Avoid this at any price. Since it is a place of fire, it is a place then of torture and torment. Luke 16, 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. A fire that tortures. And God tells us to be mindful of it and to be afraid of it. To be more afraid of it than almost anything you can imagine. Fear not them which kill the body. If we would be realistic, we are pretty much to a person afraid of having our bodies killed. We tend to avoid places where that is inclined to happen. There are places we don't go at night. There are cities and streets we won't go to. We're afraid of having our bodies killed. Do not fear them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Be afraid of God's wrath judgment. It is a place so terrible that it is worth paying any price to avoid it. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. We've already read, if your hand offend thee, cut it off. Anything that would be an impediment to belief is the idea, folks. Physical mutilation doesn't secure you a place in hell, in heaven. But people are kept out of heaven because of the wicked deeds that they do. Turn from them. God calls it the place of second death. We just read that, Revelation 20 and verse number 14. Death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Death number two. So God speaks of it pointedly, directly. He never jokes. Of course, God never jokes about anything, but 
He never uses it metaphorically. He always speaks of it dramatically. And when the Bible talks about it, it talks about it with great accuracy. There are four different words in the Bible that are used to describe it. The Hebrew word we're probably pretty much familiar with, it is the word Sheol. To the Hebrews, this was simply the place where dead people went, whether they be dead in the grave or dead in hell. They went to the grave. They died. There is one word that the Greek language uses that is found only in 2 Peter. In which Peter writes, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And here, interestingly enough, Peter actually reaches into Greek culture for a concept. The word that he used there was a place from Greek mythology It was where the wicked dead suffer for their evil deeds. Tartaruo. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell. Another Greek word we're familiar with is, of course, the word Hades. Luke 16, 22 and 23, and it came to pass the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell, Hades. He seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. This is a place in which we have probably more insight into the physical characteristics of hell than any other passage. The man is buried, his body is put in the grave, but he himself is in hell. Hades is the place, that word that is used to describe where people go after their bodies have died and their souls have departed. Bodies go to the grave. For most people, their souls then go to Hades or to hell. And then there is the Greek word, Gehenna. Gehenna. It is actually a Greek word that refers to a valley outside the city of Jerusalem that was used as the city's landfill. It was just a constantly burning fire where trash was taken. The Valley of Hinnom. That is the word that is used in Mark 9, 43 through 47. And and let me ask you, if you would, to turn to Mark chapter 9. In verse number 43. 
If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Here Jesus relates the material part of man, his hands, his eyes, and his feet, into the place of eternal torment, Gehenna. This is the word that we read in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 15, where it is translated lake of fire. And this is why you can have, folks, in verse number 14, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Death and the grave are cast into the place of final death. Here's what's going to happen. And of course, we understand that at some point in time, which could be any point in time, the Lord might sound the trumpet and take his people to be with him right now. But if that should not happen in our lifetime, we will die. And most likely our bodies will be placed in a casket and placed in a grave. And our souls will either go to be with the Lord or they will go to hell. And then at a future point in time, everybody will be resurrected. All of the graves will open. Now, the timing of that is something we're not going to get into. But we're reading about what happens to lost people when that happens in Revelation chapter 20. The bodies of unbelievers are pulled up from the depths of the ocean and the bodies of unbelievers are lifted out of the graves. They are reunited with their souls which have been in hell since the day they died, placed together one last time, judged one last judgment according to their works, and then body and soul are cast into the lake of fire where they will remain eternally where they will remain internally in perpetuity without end, without hope, without mercy. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our, God, of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It should not be thought impossible, folks. It should not be thought impossible with God. That he can both burn a human being and keep it conscious and alive at the same time. When Moses saw a bush that was burning but not consumed, he said, now that is something worth seeing. We should not impose human logic and consequences upon what the Lord said. The worm will not die. The core will not die. And the fire will not be quenched. The judgment is eternal. Revelation 14.10 The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. In Revelation chapter 20, verse number 10 is very clear. They shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know that there are many people who just try to find it to say something other than what it says. But what it says is, tormented day and night, forever and ever. There is coming a day. Isaiah 66, 23. We fast forward now to the millennial kingdom. to the reign of Christ upon the earth. And we have this very curious event taking place. Isaiah 66, 23, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth And look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die. Neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. There is coming a day, folks when the people of God will be in complete agreement with God that eternal condemnation is a righteous thing. And God is, of course, very careful to explain who will be there. Satan and the beast and the false prophet will be there. We did not read the earlier part 
of Revelation chapter 20. But Satan is going there. The beast will be there. The false prophet will be there. The fallen angels will be there. Matthew 25, 41. And so will all the human beings who would not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who would not obey God's command to repent of their unbelief and to turn to Christ in faith. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is very clear about when people go there. They go there immediately upon the death of their body or they go immediately into the presence of their God. No intermediary place, no place where someone well-intentioned might get you out. But absent from the body, present with the Lord, or dead and in hell. And God is very clear, folks, that the simple act of crucifixion alone does not guarantee your salvation. We all know the verse, for God so loved the world, which means God loved people in this way, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What if they've heard about Jesus and they know about Jesus but they don't believe on Jesus? Well, God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So simply to conclude that God is loving and he couldn't possibly send anybody to hell. Requires you to flat out deny a huge portion of what God has said, for he has contradicted that. I made a way of salvation possible. You have to call upon me, and you have to recognize that I am going to war against your evil deeds. Men love darkness. They don't love light. I am light. Choose light, not dark. And so then, folks, what God has done is, first of all, sent his son and then sent us into the world to proclaim this good news. 
This is part of the responsibility of the people of the Lord. This is what Jesus came. He didn't just, folks, we know this, right? He came and he lived and he ministered and he preached. Then he died. He didn't just show up Monday night and die the next day. He preached the kingdom of God. Preached the Bible. And when he departed, he commissioned the apostles who would become the the, the backbone of the church. And now the gospel goes around the world and Part of our task is to proclaim it and part of our task is to pray for those who are proclaiming it elsewhere and part of our task is to support financially those who are taking the gospel elsewhere. We should not think of this, folks, as just an empty threat the very credibility of God in almost every area would fall apart if he just threatened something like this with no intention of following through. The threat must be real. So when God warns people about its existence and its duration and its terrors, He is from a standpoint of love warning them. Cautioning them that failure to choose him is a very hard choice indeed. With unfixable consequences. So as a church we must be faithful to the gospel message and faithful to proclaim it. And press upon men their need to believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have provided a way of escape. Into a humanity that is completely condemned, you have sent your Son... whose own righteousness was able to satisfy your wrath. And he then became our substitute. If we will believe, I pray that you would refresh and encourage our faith. Perhaps, Father, you would incite our zeal to proclaim this message. Perhaps, Father, you would use it to remind us of the eternal significance of what we do. We pray, Lord, that many souls would come to know Christ. We pray, Father, that if it were at all possible, none would suffer eternal condemnation. Help us to believe what you say about eternal condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen.